Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Mark Changizi will join us to discuss Expressly Human. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, language, so integral to what makes us human. Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Mark Changizi. Dr. Changizi is a cognitive scientist with several previous books about the research, including Vision Revolution and Harnessed. He has been a researcher and professor at the University College Cork, Duke University, Caltech, and Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. He, along with Dr. Tim Barber, have penned the new book, Expressly Human. Decoding the Language of Emotion. And he joins us today on the Grok Science Show to discuss this very fascinating issue. Dr. Changizi, thanks so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. It's certainly our pleasure and certainly a fascinating book you put together here, Expressly Human. Here's why you decided to put this book together. There's more than one way to get into what made one do this, but one way to really motivate why one would want to understand our emotional expressions better comes out of actually my previous book, so I've, traditionally, there's been two different kinds of views for why we have language at all. And most of us, I think, mistakenly think that language is part of our nature. We do understand that writing is, of course, invented and is relatively recent. And most of us have great grandparents, possibly on one side, that you know are completely illiterate. But it's very hard for us to imagine that language itself, spoken language, is not part of it. So it's only hundreds of thousands of years old. Exactly how, how long we've had uh, spoken language is unclear, but it is a kind of invention. There's folks like Steven Pinker and, in some sense, Chomsky, although it's a more complicated story for Chomsky, there's, that have argued that language is part of our instinctual nature and that we've evolved to have parts of our brain that are for processing and understanding language. And I think that's wrong. And I've argued in previous books that, in fact, the reason that we have language at all, and including writing, is because well, let's start with writing. And I think this is helpful because it sort of sets up the need to understand what this language of emotional expressions is. The reason that we can read at all is not because we evolved to read, but it turns out that I was able to show that writing systems, letters, and all the different kinds of letters and all the different kinds of hundreds of writing systems culturally evolved over time to look like something we're already good at processing, visually processing. And that's the contour conglomerations that happen amongst objects out in the world. We already evolved to be really, really good at that because it's just part of our visual object recognition system. And so over time, culture sort of started that even though there was no designer, culture just figured out the kinds of stroke combinations that work on that kind of brain or that harness that kind of brain are the kinds of stroke combinations that happen out in the world, like Y junctions and L junctions are very common out in the world. And you can work out all of the topologically distinct contour conglomeration possibilities, and the ones that happen commonly in nature are the ones that you find across writing systems. Well, that same idea applies to spoken language as well. I was able to show in Harnessed the sounds of speech itself culturally evolved across humans' languages to sound like solid object physical events. They sound like the hits 
that's a coffee mug on a, a small piece of wood. That's a hit. And that sounds like plosives. And slides are when things just two surfaces slide. It sounds like fricatives, like, like things like that. And when either of those two things happen, things ring, they vibrate. So that's just the beginning. Then you can work out a whole book of kinds of grammars of sounds that solid objects make in the natural world. And you say, oh my gosh, exactly that plethora of sounds, that peculiar plethora of sounds are exactly the kinds of sounds we find in human speech. In that way, cultural evolution figured out how to make a language, a spoken language, that we already have auditory recognition systems for processing. So I'm sort of integral in this arguing against Pinker and arguing against the other side. There's another side which thinks language is just one of the silly things that we do because we're infinitely plastic. I don't think we're infinitely plastic either. Language works only because it's culturally evolved to harness our ancient instincts for something else. But what that means back towards towards emotions is that for most of human history, we in hominid history, primate history, right? We are incredibly bright creatures, basically just as bright as, as we are now. And going back even to the great apes, we're just a little bit less intelligent. And we were walking around all of those tens of millions of years as social animals without language as we understand it today. And most of us can barely imagine spending a whole day amongst other people, maybe allowed, you know, alone out in the forest. But amongst other people, how do you make the camp run without being able to talk, right? And we've only been doing that for the last couple hundred thousand years, but it's not our human nature. And it's not the nature of all of the hominids and all of the great apes and all, all the primates and all these social animals and all the, the dogs and the, the social birds. Most of the social animals, all of the social animals in the world, except for us, just for a couple hundred thousand years, somehow managed to do incredibly complex coordination among social animals without language. So then you start asking yourself, how is it that we did this? And of course, the only thing that we had was emotional expressions and the suites of emotional expressions that, of course, are different from animal to animal. But how can it be that this wispy stuff, you know, a smile here, a, a look of pride here, how can that undergird the ability to do all the stuff that really smart social animals have to do to both coordinate their behavior and to compete and to, to cooperate and all the complex things that we do. So that's in some sense motivation. So it was in some sense incumbent on me. Hey, Mark, if you're going to say that we, we've spent most of our human history and hominid history without language and all of these other social animals, of course, already, you know, it's clear to everybody, then how did we get by? So this book is the story from principles of what a signaling system has to be, not one that requires spoken, you know, whatever, any kind of proper grammatical language as we would usually understand it, but some kind of what's the minimal signaling system that social animals would need so that they can honestly engage in a kind of negotiation of arbitrarily many kinds that we are constantly negotiating, whether it's over zucchini bread or the desires of someone we're both vying for or who gets this part of the land or what all, we're constantly in negotiations our kids with us about how much freedom the kid gets to go you know out in the backyard by themselves all of our days are built around compromises and negotiations of various kinds amongst others between social animals what kind of system can underlie that that's the motivation for this book Deriving from first principles to come up with some sort of minimal signaling system, can the system explain the various types of communications systems we see out there in nature, not just that of humans? Right. Well, it depends on how you phrase it. There are, of course, different kinds of communication systems. And even humans use different kinds of modalities for emotional expressions in different circumstances. So sometimes we're using facial expressions. Sometimes we're using bodily gestures. Sometimes we're using vocalizations. And in certain kinds of 
contexts, we may be using some of those more than others, depending like in a sexual competition context or like a, a flirting environment. Often a man and woman might be kind of sociosexually negotiating in their way that they're flirting with one another. And an expression of ag aggression in that case is going to be totally different than an expression of aggression in the case of you and me about to you know, throw down outside. That is going to be a very different kind of emotional expression. But they're both going to be formally similar in the sense that they're both, you know, whatever it is, like my longing look for her, maybe that's what it is, an, an aggression, versus my angry bared teeth for it, to throw down with you. But they're both formally equivalent in the, said, in, in the sense that, that I'm asking I would like more or more, you know, whatever it is that we're sort of arguing over, I would like more. But they could have different specific signals that are used. What we really get at in the book, co-authors, Dr. Tim Barber, a longtime colleague of mine on a, various, a, a, a large number of topics, what we really get at in the book is not so much about which signals we are using in different contexts or which kinds of signals birds would use given that they've got plumage of this type, or it's all gonna be very stimulus, stimulus variability depending on the animal and the context. What we get though is that the fundamental space of signals that you have to have and how it has to work so that why do you need the space of emotional expressions? We do. Why don't we just have three emotional expressions? Why don't we have 757 emotional expressions? In fact, we have emotional expressions that's somewhere in between. And, and in our framework, we can show there's, in fact, 81 qualitatively distinct emotional expressions in sort of a four-dimensional space. So this theory predicts here's all of these emotional expressions you have to have. And they and they mean this, that and over they mean this, they things like, I'd like more, and I'm not kidding around. For example, that's like I'm aggressive and I'm serious about it. And we do this all the time. So suppose you're buying a house. When you're buying a house, you're engaged in a very formal, boring financial negotiation over stuff, right? And so, of course, real negotiation with real animals historically was often about really wispy things like how much of this land am I, you know, am I allowed to get this far into your territory without you causing trouble for me? And there's lots of wispy things, but this sounds really boring. But in fact, even Realtor boring negotiations have all the fundamental stuff of emotional expressions. When I say I tell the seller that we'd like for a lower price, I'm being aggressive. And if I say that I'm serious about it. So the other dimension that we often don't realize is that when we often say to our realtor, say, don't just tell them that we want a lower price. Tell them this is our final offer. Right. What we've done is we've raised the stakes and there's poker games actually hidden in all of our emotional expressions. This is the reason that when we negotiate, it's what brings honesty to the table. If I say I want a price and I'm not kidding around, you can feel that there's more at stake. And this is why near the end of every negotiation, even on something boring like a house, you're heightened. It's dramatic. You can feel like, oh, my gosh, we just we just said and this is our final offer. What are they going to say now? And often things get really acrimonious over the last two thousand dollars on a five hundred thousand dollar house. You're like, why are they getting so dramatic? Because this is the stuff of emotional expressions. Emotional expressions is all about modulating. OK, sometimes you may say I'd like ten thousand dollars lower price and I'm pretty casual about it. I'm, I'm open to a counteroffer. Now I'd be aggressive, but I would also be saying I'm showing casual. And so this would be a very different kind of emotion. And we, we know this in our bones because we often do this. And so it feels quite different. So there's the dimensions of I want more versus I want less. And I'm serious versus casual about it. This is one two-dimensional space that is sort of half of the story, which gives us uh, eight different emotional expressions for the different kinds of north, south, east, west, and then all of the you know diagonal directions. And that's just sort of two dimensions, the main two dimensions. But there's another two dimensions that through the combination of these two two-dimensional spaces, 
gives us an explosion of 81, uh, this four-dimensional space, which is hard to visualize in an auditory thing. So I, I'm going to hesitate to go into it deeply. But the stake, if I trash talk and I say, and this is our final offer, if I'm arguing with you, I say, you could never lift that much, Charles, right? I, what I've done is I've shown disgust or disdain towards you, like you're not strong enough. But in so doing, I've pushed reputation chips onto the table. I've pushed, it's like playing poker. I've pushed in chips. And now the social community's watching. They're saying, gosh, Mark was sure a douchebag here. Like he was kind of trash talky. And so if I'm wrong, if it turns out that you call and you say, oh yeah, watch, and then you go lift it, well, I've lost reputation. Or you might just give up. You might just, instead of calling and saying, let's see, you just say, okay, Mark, you're like, oh, maybe you're right because you're afraid maybe you're not able to lift it, in which case then I win the chips back and, and any other chips that you – what makes us honest just like poker makes people tend to not lie willy-nilly is because when you emotionally express, if you're emotionally expressing in an aggressive way, like I want more, you actually are pushing in reputation onto the table that you could potentially lose and the social community keeps track of that. Alternatively, I could be conciliatory and I could say like the chipmunks, no, you go first, no, you go first, you know, that kind of attitude, in which case I'm not pushing in chips on the table. I, I may be sort of doing the opposite. So if it wasn't the case that we were pushing chips on the table, people could just say whatever they want. They would just negotiate with no connection to reality of what the outcome should be. And so it's understanding how, in some sense, how it is that we're betting our reputations whenever we emotionally express. And over time, the people that tend to be right and are not saying you know wrong things tend to accumulate a reputation. And this is why this connects also up to, to society and free expression, which is the other sort of last, you know, the part of the book that connects it. The way that society comes to the tr to truth and the way that science itself comes to the truth is by virtue of the entire network. And some individuals within it through these sorts of pairwise interactions, billions of pairwise interactions of people gaining or losing reputation through these kinds of little negotiations, some people rise and some people fall. And those people that are high reputation in your network are the people that you'll just tend to believe because the fact that they have reputation shows that they've won, in some sense, many of these thousands of little emotional encounters with others. In a sense, you have some primitive system, emotion, which is being parlayed by this thing, reputation. Communication is to use those emotions to result in individual reputation enhancement and then the hierarchical stratification of societies. Yeah, in, in a certain sense, the story of the emotional expressions has little to do with underlying emotions. Non-social animals had emotions for 200 million years. They all had internal emotions that in certain situations they felt differently and that would motivate or drive them to engage in certain kinds of behaviors relevant for that situation. And what is it that suddenly amongst the social animals, then they decided to start signaling? And we happen to call it emotional expressions. And there are reasons for understanding why these signals are connected to emotions and that why it's sort of a reasonable thing to say the word emotional expressions. Problem with the words emotional expression is like, oh, you're signaling to me your emotion inside. No, that's not what emotional expressions are about. Emotional expressions are signals that social animals signal to one another so that they can carry out compromises and negotiations so they can just come to some kind of agreement or fail to agree and then they give up and they have to fight about it. But the whole point of having these kinds of signals is to not have to fight about it because that's what non-social animals always have to do. They have no way to signal got the shark and he has all these deep emotions on the inside, but there's no signaling system that he or she ever evolved to have. So they just take what they want when whatever they can get, you know, it's just fight, 
to get what you want. There's no conversation to avoid fights. Social animals evolved a negotiation system that can be somewhat honestly done, but and it's only honest to the extent that they, because you're a social animal, that becomes honest because other social other social animals are are often watching and seeing whether the claims that you're making or the demands that you're making tend to be true or tend to be something that you can back up. You know that would be true in a fight. Now, the reason that these signals have something to do with emotion, though, is that if I signal aggression, if I signal I should get more, something like this, you and I are arguing over zucchini bread, I go to Charles, I should get more, or maybe you, you, you and I are brothers. And what if I say I should get more, it means if we were to go to mom, mom would say that I should get more because, I don't know, it was my birthday cake or something like this, my birthday zucchini bread. But all of these things are about making a claim and then you making a counterclaim that we can potentially back up by having a fight. In this case, it would be about asking mom. And then mom would find out, oh, Mark was totally wrong. It should be 50-50. He shouldn't be allowed to get more of it, in which case I would lose face, right? We say Mark loses face. And, so, and then you know that Mark tends to lie about those sorts of things. I would lose in that small community in the, of just you know two kids and their mom in that case. Connection to emotions. The reason is if I say I should get more, anytime that I'm saying I should get more or I'm saying that, no, you should get more, whatever it means, I, if it came to a fight, all of these things at any moment could turn out to fall apart. The whole discussion could fall apart, in which case we have to then act and fight about it. And fight could be a physical fight or just going and ask mom. So if I am being aggressive in a situation, then I might also want to have the emotion on the inside of aggression because it could turn out at any point we're going to have to fight about it. I'm going to have to be aggressive in action and internal state in order to acquire the thing that I'm aggressively right now sending an aggressive signal for. So now you could just be sitting there cool as a cucumber and putting out aggressive signals, you know, just burying your teeth, say, and looking angry, but be cool as a cucumber on the inside. In that case, you're kind of bluffing because it doesn't, you know, like I wouldn't know you're bluffing, but you don't have any true intent on actually following through if there was a fight and you're just hoping to bluff your way through. But there will tend to be a correlation of having the internal emotion associating with the external emotion to the extent that you really are, if the negotiation fails, you're ready emotionally to engage in the actions that would secure whatever it is that you're asking for. That's why there's this connection between emotions and the emotional signals. But to understand emotional signals, you really have to understand what kind of language and what it's for. And it's the fundamental, that is any aliens anywhere, if you derive what kind of emotional system, what kind of signaling system would they need to have to just engage in bartering with each other about all the stuff that you have to just you know compromise over life, you'll end up with a particular four-dimensional space of emotional expressions with 81 different kinds. And it's exactly the same that we have. So that's the idea is that you can suddenly, for the, from first principles, explain, here's the space, here's how it works, here's how much reputation you bet or unbet, depending upon whether it's sort of an aggressive or conciliatory kind of emotional expression. And this is why you know that certain kinds of emotional expressions put you at risk. Like, yeah, I can now lose reputation because I was kind of a jerk versus if you're always conciliatory. So no, you go first. That's fine. You're the kind of person that's not going to, to lose face in that way. So is there any other possible space that you can come up with that also required for emotional communication? Is this just the one we happen to fall into? No. So this would be the unique one. I mean, any kind of negotiation or compromise is because you have some belief that you have based on information that you have. And I have a different belief based on some information that's hidden in my head. This is why it's a very similar to poker. In poker, you have cards. And the question is, are your cards better than mine? Whose cards are better? And you have information that I don't have. 
and I have information that you don't have in terms of my hidden cards. Now, in poker, we can always just, when someone calls a fight, you just lay down your cards and you see whose cards are bigger. But the whole point of poker is, in some sense, is that let's decide, we're not, like, the game is we're not allowed to talk about it, right? You don't just say, here's my, you know, you're not allowed to show it, and you're not allowed to talk, hey, I mean, I guess you could just lie and say, I've got an ace, and Whatever. But you presume that anything that they say is bull, right? That's the whole, you know, they could be lying to you when you're playing poker. You can only things that you really, the only conversation that's going on in poker to decide this, to do this negotiation is how much each of us is betting. And it's a conversation that's occurring. Now, it's, it turns out it's a more limited conversation than the, the kind of generalized poker that you need to be able to engage in negotiations more generally. But it's a very similar kind of a subset of the space. What you're doing when you play poker is by you betting chips, in this case money rather than reputation or, or whatever it is that you're betting, you are pushing in something at stake. And the more that you push in, the more confident you're saying that you are, that your hand is better than the others. In fact, think about it. When you bet with money, what is it that you're saying? The only thing that you actually can be conveying with a bet is confidence. The bigger your bet, the bigger your claimed confidence. And what is confidence? Confidence is an emotion, is an emotional expression in particular. You are signaling that you have confidence that your hand is, is bigger than the other person's hand. And in fact, all of the emotional expressions are in some sense built out of the fundamental ingredients of confidence. My confidence in my hand versus my confidence in what you claim about, you know, when you turn, I, I don't want to try to get into the, the nitty gritty of it. It's not very complicated, but it's too complicated without seeing some images, you know, for a podcast. Confidence is exactly what you can convey with a bet. And in fact, you couldn't convey confidence if you weren't betting something. Otherwise, people would just, if you're, if you're betting with, with chips, potato chips which are really cheap then people can just throw in potato chips and it doesn't amount to a to a claim or a signal of confidence at all so it's this connection and understanding how emotional expressions both can be connected up to something that's being put at stake and how it falls from the mathematics of you and i having different beliefs and all different sort of kinds of things how it falls out from that is all crucial to make it all sort of fit together as a glove and understanding how negotiations can happen between social animals without language. How does this then apply to daily interactions? Yeah, some of the things about connections to stake, for example, and rep reputation, in, in some sense, we already know this. A lot of the things that as we as, as you walk through in the book, you see, you'll you'll know that we've had metaphors all the time. You might say, yeah, she totally showed all her cards or you'd say he went all in right there or, oh, my God, he just doubled down. Things like this. We have tons of metaphors in our regular life amongst people who don't know anything about poker. Right. But they get it in their bones that this person really just pushed something in at stake that puts him or her now at risk. And they've never thought it through per se, but what they understand in their bones is that, yeah, no, there's they can really be humiliated now. And that is also why they're believable. One of the things I think, in terms of your question, trying to wrap up, one of the things that I want people to walk away with is that emotional expressions are the main thing that's happening in conversation. People often imagine that there's these sentences and then there's this intonations, let's say, across the sentences that give it a little bit of emotional expressiveness. And that's just sort of bloopy, you know, just whipped cream on top. And that's not particularly important. No, it's exactly the opposite. Almost all of the stuff that matters in our conversations is primarily done by the emotional expressions, which is expressed by the intonation and with we're in person, the face and the choice of words. So even in texts. In dry text, no, these are deeply emotional stuff because we know how to put the wording in such a way that we're 
putting out lots of emotional signaling all, all along. And all that you have to do to realize the difference is that if I suddenly start talking in a flat, monotone voice with no interesting words to put in there, you want to not listen to me immediately. I am completely uninteresting to listen to. And one of the reasons I'm uninteresting to listen to is that if I'm stating really interesting sentences, I'm not telling you whether I really believe this. If I say, you know, here's this really cool fact, but I just say it flat. Like if I'm if I'm leading a mob and I want the mob to go invade this person who stole all, all our whiskey, and I say, Doug stole all our whiskey. I think we should go get the whiskey. No one's going to rise up. But if I say, Doug stole all the whiskey, confidently. Now you say, okay, I think Mark really believes, and I believe because Mark's pushing all of this stuff at stake when he says, I really truly believe, that means that Mark would be humiliated if it turns out he's wrong, that Doug or whoever I said stole the whiskey. The way that we communicate statistical significance in real life, you know, the way scientists do, it's like P less than 0.05 or whatever, that doesn't work on human brains. What works on human brains to say how confident we are in our claims, which is crucial to all of science, right? But scientists talk in a language that's different. Humans can only understand naturally the language of confidence. If you want to convince somebody of anything, you need to say how confident you are in that particular proposition. And the way that you do that is with emotional expressions. It's not with p-values, it's not with statistics, which our brains might, some scientists might get, but it's not gonna really motivate even a scientist to do anything about it unless it gets soaked in the way they're designed to let it get soaked in. And that's by hearing confident emotional expressions from you to that effect. Right. That's how these are the true messages that are bombarding us all day long that we tend to ignore. And they're much more important than the words. We were just talking with Dr. Mark Cengizi, who, along with Dr. Tim Barber, have penned the new book, Expressly Human, Decoding the Language of Emotion. And Dr. Cengizi, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Great to be here. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.